First John is, is actually, actually not a letter at all. It reads more like a poetic sermon sent to these churches. John says that he's not communicating new information. In fact, almost all of the key ideas and words in 1 John come right out of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of John. And so John's goal is to remind them and persuade these Christians to stay true to what they already say they believe. The poetic quality of John's sermon is really cool. He doesn't develop his ideas in a linear or logical way. Rather, he uses a well-known technique of ancient rhetoric called amplification. So John has just a few core ideas he wants to communicate about life and truth and love. And he's going to cycle around these ideas repeatedly, each time offering a little bit different of an angle or emphasis. He uses a lot of hyperbole. He uses very stark contrasts with simple images of light and dark and love and hate and good and evil. But don't let the simplicity of 1 John fool you. This work is deeply profound. So the introduction is very similar to the prologue of the Gospel of John. It has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 8. John speaks of the word of life that was with God in the beginning. For John, the word God refers to both the Father and the Son who came to bring life into the world. And so those who saw and heard and touched the Son are called we. John's referring to himself and the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so now we have a message for you the next generation of Jesus' followers. So when the apostles share the word of life with others, these others are also brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son through the apostles. The word fellowship here is koinonia in Greek. It means a participation or sharing. When people hear the message about Jesus through the apostles, that message brings them into a real relationship with Jesus himself and into a real participation in God's own love and life. And so this flows right into the first main section. This is the message. God is light. This is the message of the apostles that the God revealed in Jesus is light. And so if people want to participate in God's own life through Jesus, they need to keep walking in the light, which is a really cool image, but what does it mean? It means for John to keep Jesus's commands. And that's hard. So when you fail, Jesus's atoning death will cover for your sins. And then once again, you're called to get up and obey Jesus's teachings. But which one of his teachings? John reminds the churches of Jesus's old slash new command given to the disciples at the Last Supper, that they love one another as he loved them. Doing this is walking in the light. Now, if God's light is now shining through Jesus, then that means the world's darkness is passing away, which also means that God's children already in this moment have victory over the sin and evil and death that reigns in the world. And so that leads John to challenge the churches, don't love the world because it's passing away too. He's referring here specifically to pride and sexual corruption. Likely, these are problems connected to the conflict that was happening in the churches. And so this leads John to warn the churches about these people who have left the communities and who deny Jesus as the Messiah. John calls them the anti-Messiahs and deceivers, but he's confident that those who still know the truth about Jesus are in fact the true children of God and they are loved by the Father. And they show that they're part of God's family when they do righteousness and when they love one another, unlike the deceivers who are generating anger and strife and division. And so this transitions into the second main section of the sermon. Um, uh, back in 1990, 
I moved into college for the very first time. Uh, this is kind of on my mind because I'm about to move someone else into college in about two weeks or so. But nonetheless, I moved into college for the very first time. And we, we packed in Greensboro and moved all the way to Piedmont Bible College because it was a Bible college back then. And, um, and I moved into the dorm. And when I was moving in, I met my roommate for the first time. His name was Bill Cout. And my mom and his mom started talking. And um, his mom asked my mom if there was anything wrong with me. <laughs> so I didn't know this until later uh, when we had gone out to eat. And I said, Mom, you should have told me that. And, um, and I would have went into the, to the room in the presence of her and went, you know, I'm so glad to Bible college, uh, you know, type, type stuff like that. But nonetheless, it, that, that was just something. Is there something wrong? So, you know, the, the rest of the day and kind of the week, I was like looking in the mirror. What, why would she ask a question like that? And I guess it was just mom not wanting her son to get some fatal disease from their roommate or something like that. Very, very protective. The point of that whole, whole deal is I remember walking on campus I remember going into my dorm room for the very first time. I remember being in the middle of the hall. I remember me meeting Bill Count for the very first time. And I remember that moment. Now, I would have to look on a calendar to see when that was. I would have to do some research to, to get a date, a time, and all that kind of stuff. I know it was in August, and I know the experience that I had when I was there. And I know that it happened because I was there, and, and I went through the whole thing. Here's why I'm telling you this. Your salvation experience should be the same way. You don't necessarily have to remember a date and a time, but you need to be able to, in your mind, draw up in your mind the moment and what was happening in that moment where you felt the weight of your sin. And you said, man, I have sinned against a holy God. And I am sorry for those sins. And then you asked him to be your savior. Whether you asked him to come into your heart, whether you asked him to come into your life, whatever you, however you worded it, there was a moment that you can go to in your mind where you can say, that was my moment of salvation. That was the moment I felt the weight of my sin. I felt that I needed to do something about it. And Jesus was the only remedy. And you asked Jesus to come into your heart. You asked him to be your savior. If you cannot go back to a moment where that spiritual experience happened, you really need to think about if you're saved or not. See, being saved is not, a, is not you don't just gradually go in it. Maybe I could put it to you this way. Um, you, you know, you have creationism and you have evolution, right? So creation is, is a, a specific moment in time where God spoke things into existence and evolution is just by mere chance we just kind of evolved into that moment. You do not evolve into becoming a Christian. That is not how it happens. There is a process in which God draws your heart to salvation. There's a process in which, which God draws you to church. He draws you to, to a place. He draws you to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a distinctive moment where God tells you you need to be saved and you feel the weight of your sin and you ask Jesus to be your savior. It's, it's a decision. It's a moment. It's much like going to college or better yet, 
it would be equivalent to getting married and saying, I do to your spouse. It, it is a moment. You don't have to remember the date. You don't have to remember the time, but you would be able to remember that experience. And so we can't jump back into a book that talks about salvation that you may know if you're saved, right? Unless we just cover that particular part, right? I mean, we, we just can't do that. So with that said, let's jump into our Bibles to uh, 1 John chapter 3, and we'll begin reading today with verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. Oh, verse 4. We're going to read verse 14. Sorry. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. And this is what it says in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. I'm going to read that again. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If I was to, like, survey, or survey the top ten questions that people have in life, right, one in the top ten at some point would be, is there life after death? Everybody seems to wonder that. They either wonder it at a funeral or they wonder it because things are going uh, badly in their life. They often wonder, uh, is there life after death? Um, I was uh, kind of just going through a store one day, and I saw this sticker in, in the store that said this. It wasn't First John 3, but it, it was, yeah, is there life after death? Touch this motorcycle and find out. Now, let me tell you, this was recent, okay? And um, actually, this week is when I ran across this. And um, I, I begin to think back, have I touched somebody's motorcycle at church that I didn't have permission to touch? And then I thought about a deacon's meeting that we just had last Sunday. And I thought about after the deacon's meeting, I just hopped right on Matt Louder's motorcycle, didn't even ask him about it. Um, is he here today? Oh, right there. Didn't even ask you about it. I just hope, you know, it's a Harley. I, don't, I can't, I can do little motorcycles, but the big Harley is a little difficult because it's a different, it's just different for me. It might not be different for you. I just like to sit on a Harley. I've sat on Nathan Johnson's old yellow Harley uh, that was really a lot bigger than yours. Um, his Harley <laughs> was bigger, like it was bigger, more massive, because obviously he's better able to control that. Um, so, so sit on, sit on that Harley. So I just want to publicly apologize to you for not asking to sit on your Harley before you did it, because I definitely know there's life after death. I just don't know if I'm really ready to see Jesus, although I'm ready to see Jesus, okay? So is there life after death? Next screen. So that said, that, that, is, that is the question. And we are oftentimes enamored with that question. Is there life after death? In John's day, that wasn't their question. Their question wasn't, is there life after death? They already knew there was life after death. In fact, in this culture, they had several um, scenarios of what happened to you after, after death. 
um, none of them were, was like ours, like reincarnation, but stuff that happened to you later in the afterlife. For the church, they knew there was life after death because they knew there was a heaven and there was a hell. And if you accepted Christ, you were able to go with him to be in heaven. They, they knew this. So their question wasn't, is there life after death? Their question was this, is there life before death? Is there life before you die? Is there a life where I have, quote-unquote, fun, where I am actually living for the first time? Maybe not always fun, but maybe I'm living for the first time. Is there life before I die? And I'll be honest with you, that, that for a believer is the better question. Is there life before death. So when you read verse 14, that is what he is addressing. Is there life before death? And he says this, we know, we know, gnosko, that we have passed out of death into life. We have life before death because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. There is life before you die. There is life before death. And it all has to do with this thing called love. 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 And man, when you start talking about love, people have all kinds of concepts about love. Some people think that love is all accepting and you never, you never are harsh with anybody or tell anybody that something's wrong or right or whatever. And there's just all kinds of stuff about love. The love that is talked about here is the love that Jesus Christ showed you at your moment of salvation that you in turn show other people. You know that you have Christ in your life if you love other people. This passage of scripture is very clear. We know that we have passed out of death into life. We're now living because we love the brothers. We love other Christians. This passage of scripture has nothing to do with people that aren't saved. That's another passage about love. This has to do with do you love your other brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love the family that you are going to spend eternity with in heaven? I don't know if you know this or not. If you're saved... They're little mansions side by side, okay? So you're side by side, and, and there's not really a lot of, like, land you could have to be away from people. You're, you're going to be with people, and you're going to be with brothers and sisters for the rest of your life. Now, some of you, I know I'm ahead of you, because you're like me, and you think this. Well, then they'll be perfect, and I'll be able to love them. Right? They'll be perfect, I'll be able to love them. Right, yeah, that's it. But... We, we love you, love your brothers. Now, I'll tell you, tell you a little, little, little story. I went to um, Sam's, and part of this is sin. Part of this I had to correct my attitude, whole deal. But um, I, I went to Sam's, and this was around the 4th of July to get hamburger, because we have this thing with family. And I, I, was, I was parking my car, and this person um, that I am now judging, okay, came with their cart, they were finishing their cart into their car, and the parking space right beside them was empty. So what they did with their cart was they parked their cart in the parking space, and, and they 
closed their, closed their, you know, little lid, their trunk lid, and they got into their car and they backed out and they went, they went off. Now, in my judgmental state, this is what I think. You mean to tell me that you walked around Sam's for two and a half hours? You got all the way out to the parking lot. And you timed it in such a way that your energy would be zapped by the time you put that stuff into your trunk so that you could not just walk a couple of steps further to put that cart... Right, come on. Cart into the cart thing? Really? You were that zapped? And you looked all of 30-some years old and you just left your cart? What if somebody needed to park in that parking space? Are, are you tracking with me? What if somebody needed to park in that parking space? So then I started thinking other thoughts that I shouldn't think. But then I got out of my car and I thought, oh, just need to, just need to love because I can't do anything about them. So I took the little cart and I pushed it all the way inside um, Sam's and I used that, that cart. Okay? That, that's what I did because I am the more righteous and better person than the person that was in the... In that, that's, that's why I did that, of course. That's right. That's right. But it got me thinking, how much time could you actually save? Now, track with me here. How much time could you actually save if you just walked into Sam's and just took a cart that was already full? You go up to there, you grab the cart, because you know people, like, they leave them, and then they go over here, and they get something way down the aisle, and then they get distracted, and they leave that cart there. I've seen them. I've passed them. What if you took that cart and just went, and you paid for all that food, and you went home with it? How much time would you save, and how much new food would you be able to try? Wouldn't that be awesome if you could do that? That'd be absolutely incredible. But you don't do that because you have kind of respect for people. You have respect for their, their cart. You have respect for what they have in it. And you just kind of just pass it by. You might push it to the side, right? Respect is not the same thing as love. And some of the people you hate, you don't respect. But some of the people you hate, you respect because of their power and their position. Respect is not the same thing as love. There's a lot of people that you might not like and you might hate, but you still have to respect because they're above you. Are you, are you tracking with me? But in this passage of Scripture, you have to love, it says. You have to love. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, um, let me just randomly pick. I always pick, I'll start with Roger because he's the easiest. Roger has, has, a, has a particular lifestyle. I don't know if you know this or not. Is a particular lifestyle. He's what you call retired and busy. Retired and busy. On any given day, I can go down Far uh, Farmington Road and he'll be hoeing at his fence post. Or, or he'll be, uh, I'll see his truck and he's out there doing something with cows. Or he'll stop by here and paint something or he'll do something. He has quite the lifestyle and quite, quite the life. In fact, um, I think that he is Farmington CSI. That's what I think. Because he tends to know everything that's going on in the community. Somebody over here has problems or something like that. He knows, he, he seems to be investigating, and he has his little route. So that is his lifestyle. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at verse 11. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that, uh, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who, abide, everyone who does not love abides in death. I do not have my glasses today. So here's the equation. If you hate, that equals death. If you love, that equals life. I would take it one step further and say, if you are destructive towards someone, you are living in death. If you are building up someone and helping them out, you are living in life. You are living in love. We oftentimes can shift ourselves into death in a skinny minute. How many of us have, have been in a situation where we're supposed to love a brother, but then we're like so irritated with them that all of a sudden we hate them? How many of you have ever been there? That is the moment in time that our heart shifts over into death rather than life. You see, love is constantly wanting the best thing for your brother, for your sister, for the people around you, for the other Christians, it's constantly loving and wanting what's best for them. It's, it's not having ill feelings toward them. It's not being against them. Love is loving them, wanting to help them out, right? And when we love and when we are positive, that is when we have life. Second, let me pick someone else in the room. Let's see. Brad Ratledge. Brad Ratledge is a good one. Brad Ratledge has quite the lifestyle. I don't know if you know this or not. Not only does he have perfect hair, okay? And he looks pretty, pretty cool, right? He also has this group called the Happy Ones. As soon as you hear Happy Ones, you're happy. Like you, you hear happy, happy ones. Oh, great. They're going to be over here playing for this party. They're going to be over here playing this. The happy ones are going to be here. And to be honest with you, they look happy when they're singing. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos or been to them live. They look happy. Brad is always into his music. His lifestyle is music, and he loves music, and he's always moving. I would challenge Brad, just to be able to see it, to play the guitar and lead something stiff. Just one time, I'd just love to see that, because I think that would be absolutely funny. He's always moving. He also has another guy in his group that just beams with sunshine. Like, he, he smiles, he's, he's into it, and, and, then, and then there's the lady. She's also into it, and she's nice, and she smiles, and I think she's having a good time, Brad, but she's not having as good a time as you and your friend over here. I mean, y'all are just owning it, and she's, she's like with it, and she's excited to be up there, but she, you just feel that. So when you go hear the happy ones, and when you see that, you get kind of a sense of they really enjoy what they're doing, and they love music. That's what you get out of that. When you see Roger Miller, and he's doing his thing, you, you get the sense that he's retired and he's living the dream, doing exactly what he wants to every single day of, of the year. Well, what he wants to do and what Ellen wants them to do every single, every single day of the year is how he's living his life. And he is happy. It is an amazing thing. 
So continue to keep that in mind, and I want you to look at verses um, 16. Check this out. Verse 16, the same passage. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So love is not only the absence of hate, irritation. Love is, is, is something that you feel you want to benefit, you want to connect, you have, have a different feeling toward that person. Love is also laying down your life for your brother and sister in Christ. Now, obviously, the first part of this verse has to do with Jesus. Jesus so loved the world that he laid down his life for us, right? That, that's why he laid down his life. And he wants us to do the same sort of thing. He wants us to lay down our life, and he wants us to sacrifice for each other. Those verses continue to kind of unpack that. In verse 17, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, if we look around and there is, there's another brother and sister that is in need, or they need something, and we close our heart against that brother and sister, we are living in death. But if we see a need, and we desire to help with it, and we help with it as much as we can, that shows that we have God's love in our hearts. Now, I know that you are similar to me. I have stuff in my house that is just stuff in my house that I really don't use, right? Most of my stuff is tech stuff that is just lying around and cords. I have a box of cords just in case, right? I need the old cord that hooks up the uh, old Atari. If I ever run across one of those, I have the cord that hooks that up to the Right? I have, just in case, I have it all there. But we all have stuff in, in our house that, that, you know, that is just lying around. Sometimes in life, there are people that need that stuff that are around us. For instance, here recently, um, let, me, let me just step one, one step back here to say, um, Heather and Seth Parnell have found a house there, there are some issues with the, with the foundation of that house, so they're going to fix the foundation, but maybe two, three months or years, they're going to be in that house, because they, they've gone through a, through a series of events. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Seth, Par, Seth and Heather Parnell, their lifestyle is every now and then on a Saturday evening, they go to Bowman Gray and ro- watch the races, Right? So I fully expect that lifestyle to expand a little bit, and when they're just living right over here, they're going to go to the drag strip, right? And they're going to watch all that stuff in the stands and and see all that. This is what you call a lifestyle without children. That's what you call that, right? And they are living it to their fullest. So you, it, like when he's off work and she's off work, you don't know where they're going to be. They could be at her house in the mountains hiking, uh, making macaroni and cheese at home. 
every night, but they, they, do, they do that sort of thing. They have a lifestyle of the young married couple, and they're really good. So let's just back up. They're about to get this house. So I asked them, I said, I asked um, Seth the other day, I said, Seth, um, what are you doing about Wi-Fi? Because I would rather have Wi-Fi than a bed, okay? <laughs> just rather have Wi-Fi than a bed. Make sure all that tech stuff's up, and then we'll think about a mattress, right? That's what we'll do. So I asked him about that, and he said, well, I'm thinking about I don't know if you work for him, and I hope you don't, but Yadtel, and Yad, we're going to get Yadtel's Wi-Fi. And I said, brother, you do not need to get Yadtel's Wi-Fi. It, it's, it's bad enough that you're going to have to use the router. You, you, just use the router. I'll, I have a Wi-Fi system at home that I will give you, and you can just use it. It's just sitting in my house. It's just in my office, and I'll just give you that, right? I'm telling you that not because I gave it to them, but because you also have stuff, have stuff just sitting around in your house that other people might need. And when you notice that those people need something, you take the stuff that you aren't using and you give that to them to use. You don't need to hold on to it. I, how many routers does a person, Wi-Fi routers does a person really need, right? I tend to collect them. For some reason, I see one, I get, grab it, I collect it. But we give things away. This is why I'm telling you this. You might be sitting here today thinking, I don't have enough money to help someone. God only requires you to help as much as you can. He requires you to take what he has given you and help another brother and sister in Christ when they are in need. He does not require for you to do something bigger than what you can do. But he does require you to take the stuff that you already have and help another brother and sister out in Christ. This is the way they operated in the church of Acts. This is the way that we should also operate as well. This is why we do baby showers. This is why we do wedding showers. This is why we help people with the food pantry. This is why we do all of this. Because in scripture, to show that we love each other, comes to how we help each other when someone else is in need. So is there someone that you know that is in need that you have something at your house that they can use? Maybe it's time to take that thing and just say, look, this, is, this has been sitting at my house and you need it and I want you to have it and I want you to use it. Amen? If you shut your heart off and you say, I'm not going to help, that means something about your spiritual condition. It really, it really does. By the way, and I really don't care what political side you're on. This is biblical. In God's church, he already has a system to help people in need. He already has a system. It's a family. It's a family getting together helping other family members make it through a tough time. And it's a system that says, we will support you while you're down and help you get the job that you need. We will help you not only here, but we will help you get to be self-sufficient. It is very healthy, and God already has it for the church to do that. Verse 19 says this. Oh, wait, verse 18, sorry. Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, Keith Miller, who's sitting in the back row, blue shirt, head down, head shining. That guy. I don't know if you know this or not, but he is a police officer. So he lives that life of a, of a police officer during the week. He has on his phone right now an app that is counting down the days to his retirement. If you would like to see that, he will show you that app and show you these are the days. And then he'll tell you, I'm going to get another job, but this, these, you know, these are my final days at the, at the police department, and I am counting them down, and it is going to be over. And he's excited about that. What else you might not know about him is, is every now and then, at least once a week, or maybe once every other week, depending on when it's needed, um, he comes to the church and he mows the yard. He, he gets on a lawnmower and he mows it. He sprays the stuff around here. And that is what he does. He, he has a wife that is a joy to know. You never know what she's going to be talking about. You never know what she's going to engage you with. And she has just been a joy. I've known them for, uh, for years. But they, they are two people that have a lifestyle that says, we care about God. We care about his church. And I'm excited about being retired, and I am living life. It is a lifestyle, and it actually tells you that in the way that they live their life. I, this is all just from viewing what they do. Now, I have told you about Roger, right? I have told you about Seth. I have told you about Keith, right? I've told you about all of those. I've told you about Brad Ratledge, and I've told you that you can actually see the life that they are living by what they are doing. That is precisely what this verse means. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You can say all day long that you love me and never show it, and I will never believe you. You can talk love to your friends, and you can make like, oh, I just really love them, and oh, blah, blah, and you do all that kind of talking, but never really show that love. And it's not authentic. This verse of scripture says, if you, really show, if you really love someone, don't talk about it. Show it. How many of us just talk it? How many of us just say it so we look good because it's the Christian thing to say? We need to be a church that does it. We love people. We're in contact with people. We're wondering how their, their, their life is going. We're wondering what's happening in their life. We are talking to them. We are connecting. We are taking stuff from our homes that they might need and giving it to them. We are supporting each other and, and pushing each other forward and working through difficulties with love and celebrating things that are just absolutely incredible with each other. We are people that love. This scripture says, little children, let us not love in word, our talk, but indeed in truth. You either are talking that you love people and really don't, or you're showing that you love people and you really do. It is an either or. 
We have way too many Christian politicians. People that say they're Christians and they never do anything for anybody. Yeah! I, I just love them. Never do anything for them. Never contact, never do anything. Too many Christian politicians. We as Christians need to get out of the political realm of the little Christian stuff that we say and we really don't mean and get down to the nitty gritty and actually start doing it. And sharing and helping. Because that's what a family does. You love indeed, not just in talk. If you want to talk, just go to the nearest salon, have at it. Our barbershop. I would have to say the barbershop's where interesting to be. Because um, I'm not, yeah, okay. That's not even part of the sermon. 20, verse 20. Check this out, verse 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Heart is the central part of your being. For whatever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. I'm going to read that verse again. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Our heart. So I'm going to close with this today. Just to ask you a question. What is your heart telling you this morning? Down in the in the central part of who you are, do you really love the people of God? Do you really love them? At the core of your being, at the place that you and God are only the, there are the only two people who really know what's there. At the core of your being, do you really love God's people, your brothers and sisters in Christ, or at the very core of your being, is there hatred there? And then out from that, you just look like you love them. You're just acting like you love them. But deep inside, you really don't love them at all. So in the spot, in the heart, that God only sees do you really care about that person that's sitting right next to you? Do you really care about that person that sits across the room? Do you really care about other brothers and sisters in Christ and what they are going through? Do you really, really care? Or in the deepest part of your heart where only God can see, is it really hatred or even worse yet? In the most central part of who you are, Maybe you do love, but it's just a self-love. Because at the end of the day, it's really just all about you. 
And in the central part of your heart, the person that you put number one, the person that you push first, the person that you care about the most, the, purpose, the, the person that you want, your purposes accomplished is really just you. And it's you that really you love. And you basically love everybody else that loves you and hates everybody that hates you. Are you tracking with me? What is in the central part of your heart, of your being, of who you are between you and God? This is what it should be. It should be Jesus Christ filled with his love, very thankful that he loves you and you love him. And then out of that, you love everybody around you because you know that he loves them as well. The thing to keep in mind here is that Jesus Christ loves the person you hate. Jesus Christ loves the person you hate. And if you are living from his love, you can no longer hate that person. You can only love them because he first loved you.